Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. Positively different radio in the morning and you're with the Double L team, Lyle and... Liam, good morning, Lyle. How are you? I am fantastic this morning. It's fantastic to hear. Yes. Very fantastic to hear. What are you thankful for? Uh, this morning, I, um, I, I've been working on a little bit of a, a script over the last couple of days and I... I've um I've I've really been enjoying that, and that's what I'm thankful for this morning. It's a script about uh, how Matthew uh, in the Bible decided to or, or managed to write his book in in the Gospel. So yeah, cool, coming together well. It Praise is, Lord. it is indeed. What are you thankful for this morning? Well, this morning I was staggering around in the dark as I often do in the morning when I get up early, and went into the our kind of makeshift kitchen because we have a makeshift kitchen set up in a bedroom at the moment because we actually don't have a kitchen in our house, uh, which is a bit of an adventure, staggering in there, trying to find the light switch for the lamp that provides light and suddenly realised, went over to the door, flicked a switch and the lights came on for the first time in about six oh, weeks. Oh, praise God, how we good. So we're not, we, haven't had, we haven't had any lights in our house up until now and it's just all been lamp power and yeah you never realize just how amazing it is to just flick a switch that is by the just door the and the, light, the lights come on the little things the little things do they you are so what else what's the next thing to do in your house uh there are so many things to do in my house i don't know where to begin but the next thing i'm going to do is build a bedroom in the roof right yes so like an attic sort of yes love oh attics. i see yeah, yeah 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 do you have a basement as well no, we don't have a basement. We're on piers, so I we see. have a crawl space. I see. Uh, but no basement. Do you keep much stuff in the underneath? Uh, no, there's a few old bottles out down there. Probably should have a look and see if any of them are uh, worth anything to a collector. But, yeah, we will see. We we'll will see. indeed. Well, let's, uh, things are happening in your place. It's good to hear. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. What have we got for positively different Positively news? different news. I want to... Uh, so, Hong Kong. New Zealand, Hawaii, New South Wales, and Queensland, what do they all have in common? Okay, so Hong Kong, Taiwan. Hong Kong, New Zealand. New Zealand. Did I say Taiwan? Did you? I don't know. I don't know. I meant New Zealand. Maybe, did you say Taiwan? Hong Kong, New Zealand, Hawaii, and New South Wales, and Queensland. There's a, there's a whole list of things I could list off. What do these all have in common? They all touch the same body of water. Sure. Uh, possibly. I don't know. Um, uh, list, list them off again. Hong Kong? Hong Kong. You're thinking, I don't think you're going to get it. You're thinking too broadly. Okay. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Think narrow, think narrow, think narrow, think narrow. Recent times? No, I have no idea. Okay. Tell me. They have all reported zero cases of coronavirus. For how long? For yeah, one day. Okay. Yeah. So first time for the first time. Some of the, or not all of them at one time. Some of them, are, I think Hong Kong has been pretty good for quite a while. Um, New Zealand has been doing uh, well for quite a while, but yes, they have. New South Wales in particular, uh, yesterday was our first day without any new coronavirus cases. Really? Yes. In New South Wales? New yes. South Wales. No new ones? No, none or none that were reported. Wow. There will so, be more to come. Yes. We need to recognise that, but it was good to have a day of uh, no new ones. It's a fantastic step in the right direction. I know Queensland has been doing quite well over the recent times as well. Um, they've had a number of number of days. I think there have been a couple of days where you know they've had one or two here or there. But for the most part, they've they've had. But New South Wales has been leading the charge as far as infections oh, goes. Yeah. We've had the, you know by far the biggest numbers without in the a state. doubt. 
And so for New South Wales to have a day without, that is definitely things turning in the right direction. So, yeah, who knows It'll be where... be interesting to see what happens once uh, restrictions ease this, um, this Friday. Yeah, I think there might be a... There could be a small spike. It I could be. So. There could be. I'm hoping that there isn't, and mm. I'm hoping that... Um, I, I kind of got faith that there won't be a spike. You know, we're going to... I, I think it will sort of just, like, you know, ease its way along in about similar numbers as to what we have now. Yeah. Because one day free is obviously not free of corona. It's just one day free, but it does show that, you know, we're, we're heading in the right direction. Yeah, let's... Uh, the, the jury's still out on that. Um, but I guess, you know, the restrictions will come back in if the if the numbers go back up. So, Indeed. Yeah, very good very good news, very good numbers right there. Now, uh, I did promise cats. <laughs> yes, let's talk about cats. I, pretty, I did promise cats. There is, so one, one big problem... Are we going to ban cats? One big problem with cats... Yes. ...that uh, there is uh, everyone, regardless whether you love them or hate them, mm-hmm. uh, this is one issue that is a consistent thing throughout... And that is their shedding fur. Yes. And it's a terrible thing. Fur gets everywhere. They leave it everywhere. It gets everywhere. It's, it's fur is, it's, it, the cat fur is dreadful. I, I really can't comment. I've never experienced it. <laughs> um, but over in Japan. All the cat people now are calling me yeah. a hypocrite. Oh, you've never had one. You wouldn't know. Over in Japan, uh, there is one couple who has been using the fur, the, the shedding fur from their cats to make <laughs> to make whimsical hats for their felines to wear. Okay. <laughs> All right, so you so, shave your head and make a hat out of it. Pretty much. So picture this, right? You can get those cats without hair though, can't you? Uh, yeah, the, the hairless cats. I wonder where they get um, cold. But it's sort of like, it's sort of like turning, like Fur, fur hats with cat fur, except they're not killing the cats. They're just collecting all the fur that they've shed and put them together. So there's one that's had like a, a, a beanie almost, another one that looks like it's got bunny ears, uh, one that looks like it's the Statue of Liberty, uh, another one that's got a snail on its head. And all these creatures, all these things that are on their head have been made out of uh, their fur. That's interesting because cats do actually have really, really nice fur. And I know of one uh, one person who makes hats out of uh, feral cat skins. Um, of course, I'd be highly allergic to that. But, uh, yeah, it is a bit of a thing, you know. I mean, if you compare, say, you know, possum skin and stuff like that that used to be used extensively. Um, yeah, well, there you go, you know. When you've got something that is Australia's worst pest ever, maybe... Maybe there's an idea do, there. Do maybe I'm to, going too far on radio. I'm going to shut up right now. Do you want me to give you a little bit of a moment to, to continue to talk about? No, because I will go too far. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> let, we'll I'll, I'll move. But I mean, hey, feral cats are a major, major ecological problem in this country. That they are indeed. do need to do something about. They are indeed. Um, and, what is, and we need to do it in a way that is humane. Indeed. And protects our, our native wildlife. Indeed. Um, so uh, my last story for you this morning is going to Queensland... A local story for it, well, like, well, it's local for some people. Um, there is a lot of people have been cleaning out houses, and there's an older lady who was cleaning out her house and found a love letter sent to her son when he was in grade three. He's forty years old now, and it was a love letter sent on Valentine's Day. A grade three love letter, I eh? I know. And Tell you what, those little itty bitty hearts just fluttering it, it away. It was, oh, it was very sweet. This letter. I'll, I'll have a quick. 
I'll, I'll, I'll brush over it. To my loving Gerald. Uh, they spelt, spelt Gerald wrong. You're, oh, actually, you know what? I won't read all of it. Um, but he, it's basically this, this young lady is saying that she would like to go out with this, per, with this young man because, you know, he, she thinks she's a pretty good-looking young dude. Keep in mind they're in grade three. Yes. So who knows what's going on with the hormones. Um, But she can't just yet because, oh, you know. And and that's a full stop. I've no idea. What was love like back in the day? Well, when I was in year three, love between, you know, and and, and wanting to go out with uh, and have a girlfriend was just really just modeling your parents. Yeah, there's no hormones at that age. It's just it's just what kids do. It's like let's play mummy and daddy, indeed, um, and let's model our parents and play that is, you know, creative like that is good, healthy play and should be encouraged. Um, it doesn't mean that you know you encourage your kids to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or something like that. But no. when they're playing, when they are playing at being adults, they are learning to be adults and they are using their creative minds, and that's a healthy thing to do. But yeah, so she ended this by saying, "Grade three again." P.S. I loved you since the first since I first saw you. So this this man Gerald, he's now on the look. He's looking out, and he's he's posted all over social media saying, "I need to find this this lady, just to apologise for not getting I, back to I, her." I thought you were going to tell me a story about them getting together, but anyway, no, not yet. Uh, I might come is... back next week. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Right now, joining us on the phone this morning is, it's Wednesday, so we have David Haupt. David, thank you so much for joining us again this morning. Good morning, Lyle, and good morning to your listeners again. David uh, always comes on on Wednesdays, well, for the most part on Wednesdays, to talk about emotional health. We've been talking about addiction. David, I noticed that uh, during the week, um, this this coming Friday with some of the uh, coronavirus restrictions being lifted, that... AA meetings will be starting back up again, so 12-step meetings, um, which is going to be a good for a lot of people who have been dealing with addictions. One of the things that is also been highlighted is how wonderful the lockdown has been for people particularly struggling with gambling addictions. Um, there's so many testimonies floating around on social media at the moment from families that have suddenly got their husband back, got their wife back, got their mother, got their father back that they actually haven't had for years. Now, as these restrictions start to be lifted, you know, these people are going to be experiencing a, a, uh, you know, a new life that they probably haven't had for quite a number of years. What are the dangers that they're going to face and how do they deal with those dangers you know, once the pokies do open back up again? Lol, it's a very important question that you're asking there because um, so often we find that change help us, uh, you know, environmental change help us to uh, start in a new direction. And very shortly we think that we, we've mastered the art of overcoming our addiction. And therefore I can venture out into the normal world again and I will be free and very shortly discover that I've slipped back. It takes 66 days intentionally each day working in uh, on, on an issue to, to break the pattern and to instill a new behavior to form a new neural pathway in our brain. 66 uh, days. But 
uh, that protein uh, chain of, of that neuro uh, pathway has been completed after 66 days. But if you stop right there, you actually revert back. That protein chain starts to break up again and you revert back to your old patterns. Research shows that you actually have to take it another 33 days further. In other words, 99 days to make it a permanent pathway. Uh, uh, in other words, changing your lifestyle completely in order for you to, to be safe. So in other words, people due to coronavirus have uh, been restricted from being able to go down to, 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 you know, go and gamble. And, um, they relish in the newfound relationship that they have and they think that they are cured and therefore they can actually enter back onto the playground, if I may call it that, of the devil. It's interesting that First um, uh, Peter chapter five verse, uh, is it nine that warns us and says that the devil is walking right uh, uh, around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And then the next verse says, resisting. And the question is, how? How do I resist the devil of an addiction? Um, and it then defines it that in basically I cannot do it in my own strength. Um, mm. Peter says, resist him in your face. In other words, recognizing, and this is what AA is so strong about, that a, a person battling with addiction has to acknowledge that they are an addict. In other words, it doesn't matter where I am in my world, I have this um, problem in my psyche that I am an addict that can only survive by the grace of God. And as I previously mentioned on, on this uh, program, that AA was an utter failure until they brought God into the picture. And, and it and became a worldwide success. And now you've got AAs that have taken God out of the picture and they're failing again? Well, AA is trying to um, incorporate other groups and other people of faith now says that, uh, well, my desk can also be God, whatever I deem to be that spiritual being in my life. And um, that is where we start to, you know, run aground uh, because there is power in the name and in the acknowledgement that God alone can provide uh, victory in my life. Uh, as I worked in Cabramatta in the high day of Cabramatta's addiction, where there was a drug war happening, I noticed that the people that initially says that I can control my addiction, uh, I can put it down whenever I can, were the ones whose lives slowly but surely started to deteriorate. And once they hit rock bottom, and they recognize that they have in, an inability to do it in their own strengths. And they come in and they say to me, you spoke about God. Can you direct me to this God that can make a change in my life? The moment that they incorporate the spiritual elements, not just of as a theory, but a relationship with God. And, and I want to emphasize it. This is not... Um, religiosity, because religiosity can be another form of addiction. This is not denominationalism. This is about the person of Jesus Christ in my life, that that individual very rapidly 
brings about changes in their life and transforms their lives. I have a friend who many, many years ago was a severe alcoholic, went to AA for about 18 months, hasn't had a drink since, but still sees himself as being one drink away from being an alcoholic. Is that true, you know, 20, 30 years down the track? The the reality is that our brain actually stores the memory of the experiences that we had uh, during uh, our addiction period. So in other words, as I examined and listened and studied each one of the people that I worked with, and over the years in Cabramatta, I saw thousands of people, and I listened to their story. There was a commonality in each one, and that was that they either experienced major anxiety, had difficulty to deal with stress, and also experienced major pain in their life. The the quickest way for a heroin addict who is going through major stress or an alcoholic going through major stress, they know their brain, their neural pathway says there is one quick fix to get rid of that stress. Just one drink, one shot of heroin, and all of that will be gone. The brain knows it. And therefore, it is a constant decision that they need to take, that they will not go that route anymore. And in that sense, because of the message that is contained in that uh, neuroreceptor and pathway, is that I am an alcoholic or I am an addict for the rest of my life, but I am a recovering I'm not a practicing uh, addict, but I have that tendency, and therefore I choose. It is a daily choice that they need to make. The C19 crisis that we're in the middle at the moment hasn't really done anything as far as people who are addicted to drugs, alcohol, smoking, those kinds of things. Uh, It has had a major effect on people that are addicted to um, to gambling, do you see this as a golden opportunity that has been handed to the Australian government to actually do something about our, our gambling crisis? It is a golden opportunity if we can change the way that we treat addictions. And that is move away from treating things symptomatically and really go in and treat them on the causative level. In other words, the question that I would like to ask our listeners, if they are battling with any form of addiction, and and Lyle, let me just say, put it out there, that addiction today is not just drug and alcohol. It can be the way that we act and behave. It can be position. It can be education. It can be food addiction. Uh, as as I mentioned last week, technology is the the newest coin addiction that especially our young people are addicted to. So during the lockdown, a lot of people have been very much addicted to technology and media. Um, But what is driving that? What is the underlying cause of it? During this um, lockdown, I I think I might have switched on my TV once just to quickly ca- uh, capture the news. Um, but my phone is my hand constantly. Uh, is is that a replacement? Yes, it can be. Um, so, 
a government that really wants to make a difference needs to go to the underlying causative issues of why people are uh, drawn to addictive behaviors and start to help people to address those. And uh, harm minimization, and I don't want to get involved here in a political debate, but harm minimization only minimizes the harm that uh, addiction is doing to people. It does not address the causative issues. Okay, so if we don't address the causative issues, then we run the danger of people who are addicted to gambling. They come out the other side of uh, C19 restrictions and... uh, you know they've sort of they've gone past their 66 days and like yep we're going to hang in we're going to make it to our 99 days we're going to we're going to kick this thing properly um, and then simply replace that one with another addiction because they haven't actually solved the cause of the addiction in the first place. Exactly, and and one of the biggest dangers, as I've already said, is is media. We uh, during COVID nineteen's isolation, we've not been able to go out and gamble, but we we have sat the whole day in front of the TV just watching entertainment TV. What happens at that moment? is that the rapid scene of reference change on that screen of the imagery that we see actually causes a flicker that our brain picks up and it numbs our frontal lobe, shuts down the frontal lobe of our brain and places us actually in a hypnotized state. And in so doing, uh, hampers our ability to make higher order decisions. Mm. So, in, so in other words, I I stop doing moral decisions between right and wrong. I can still see that it's a rerun of an old movie that I can see, but I do not make judgment anymore on moral related issues. And to fight addiction and the causes of addiction needs the frontal lobe to be activated. And this is what's very interesting with chemical addiction, in other words, alcohol uh, or other forms of drugs, for instance, the first area in the brain, including pornography, the first area of the brain that it impacts is the frontal lobe of the brain. And it shuts that part of the brain down. So with these um, various kinds of addictions here, it seems to be that there's a common thread that runs through them in that at some point they all seem to be breaking down our ability to be able to make moral decisions. Um, is, 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 is that correct pretty much across the board? I mean, it's like the TV is breaking down our ability to do that. The alcohol, of course, we know that alcohol is the, is the greatest uh, drug out there for, I guess, breaking down inhibitions. Um, is, is, are these other addictions doing the same thing within our brain? Very much so, yes. And what is very interesting is that the one that can help us to break our addictions, in other words, God, actually communicates with us through which part of our brain, Lyle? Yeah, through the the frontal lobes where we make moral decisions because he's a moral God who is interested in morality. So I'm just wondering whether behind all of these addictions sits a more sinister thing, namely someone who does not want us to experience the freedom that we can find in God, in Jesus Christ. Is it possible? If I was the devil, I would numb, I would shut down people's frontal lobe of their brain. 
so that they will not be able to see my deception, will not be able to make higher order decisions between right and wrong, because then I can control them. Yes, David, we are out of time, but I just want to mention that I don't know what it's like where you are, but where we are, we have a beautiful, bright, sunny day outside, and I encourage everybody to get outside into the uh, environment, be in a much better place than uh, sitting in front of a TV getting square eyes or some other kind of addiction. We're surrounded by beautiful things, so let's make the most of those beautiful things. David, thank you so much for joining us again. You're welcome, and blessings to you all. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Welcome back. We have come time for question of the day. And today's question is, it's a little bit of a peculiar one. It is, did Jesus come back in 1914? Did Jesus come back in 1914? There you go. Okay, the answer is no. Yeah, I could assume that. As well, I mean, the Bible says that uh, every eye will see, and I have not seen it. Uh, so therefore, and not, I'm not that I'm saying that I'm special, but I have eyes. Liam's sitting on the other side of the studio. He's like, "Wait a minute, this is a question today. Last by supposed to be saying stuff. Why am I suddenly saying yeah. stuff?" <laughs> Over to you, Lyle. Well, I just said the answer is no because, like, what else am I going to say about that? Okay, let's 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 talk about it. Break it down because I was studying with a young lady one time who was um, at the same time as me studying with another. Uh, group. In fact, they were Jehovah's Witnesses. So we're both having Bible studies. Um, they came on one day, we came on the other day. And um, she learned from her Jehovah's Witness friends that Jesus came in 1914. And when she, when she brought that to my attention, I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Um, so where is he? And her replies, well, was was a secret coming? You know, we didn't we didn't see him come. I'm like, well, you know, there's this passage in the Bible, and let me head over there. And and for our Jehovah's Witness friends, there's probably an answer that is a little bit too simplistic. And so, if you'd like to give us a call, feel free, and uh, we can address this in more detail. But I'm going to head to Matthew 24 because this is where I headed at the time. Uh, Matthew 24. And in verse 25, it says, Behold, I have told you before, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, it is in the desert, don't go there. Behold, it is in the secret chamber. In other words, he came secretly. In other words, he's in some part of the universe, you know, a chamber or whatever, a, a region, an area that Jesus has come secretly to where we can't see it. The next line is, in my King James Version, Believe it not. Now, that's pretty clear. I don't know that you can get it more clear than that. The Bible says that if somebody comes and says, well, Jesus came already, but it was a secret coming, do not believe it. Okay, so this is a series of uh, emphatic claims um, that have been put forward regarding the, the years 1799, 1874, 1878, 1914, 1918, 1925. Um, and, of course, you'll find all of these dates in the Watchtower publications between 1879 and 1924. There was another claim that I often hear vehemently denied in relationship to a, a date in the 1970s. It was either 74 or 73, I forget exactly which date it was. And what's interesting is that while they vehemently denied that they preached that Jesus would be coming to the earth on that particular year, 
there are statements that are very clear from the Watchtower where it does say that, and you do have a massive jump in membership followed by a massive decline in membership around that date. Now, if you're going to look at that from the standpoint of cause and effect, you have to say, okay, there was something that caused this to happen. And then when you see the massive decline in numbers, like crashing after that date passed, you have to say, well, something caused it to crash. All right, what was that cause? Well, the cause and the increase is obviously going to be uh, increased level of Jehovah's Witness witnessing. So something was extra motivating in that year. And then the cause of the sudden decrease is going to be the result of people who are becoming, um, I guess, disillusioned by the movement. It might, there might be new members. They might be existing members. So what caused an extra level of motivation for outreach followed by an extra level of disillusionment around a particular date? And I would say that that was the preaching of the coming of Jesus Christ in the 1970s. And now, of course, we have exactly the same thing taking place where you know people are preaching that Jesus will come in, what is it, 2027 or something or other, or 2037. I can't remember what the latest date was. Any kind of date setting at all ever is a terrible idea. The Bible says you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man comes, and that's a very clear indication that we should not be trying to calculate it.